0: This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, it's going to be a six-minute Monday where I give you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And and we're going to go with a recap once again of what happened at this week's Tag Team Challenge. So here we go. All right. We're going to start in reverse order here. When I say reverse order, I'm going to start with the end of the tag team challenge. At the end of the tag team challenge, one of our athletes, I will not say his name, but he was saying, Coach, how do you free up time at work? How are you freeing up your time? And as we got into our conversations, one of the things we said was the two things that take the most people's time at work are emails and meetings emails and meetings. If you didn't have any emails, you didn't have to go to any meetings, you'd probably get, I don't know, 100% more work done. So what I'm going to do today, for all six tips and tricks, I'm going to talk about how to reduce the volume of emails that you, can, you will get and the volume of emails that you will send. You could thank me later. All right, tip number one. Sounds like the most obvious tip, but it's my throwaway tip. Unsubscribe from all junk emails. When you get a junk email, a little spam. Go to the bottom, click on subscribe. Now, some people feel like, oh, that takes a little bit of work, and it's just easier for me to delete it. Some people enjoy deleting junk emails. They feel like they're doing something, but in reality, that it, all of that is just a waste of time. So, go to the bottom, hit the unsubscribe button, and delete anything that does not need to be coming into your email inbox. You make it a little dopamine rush when you open your inbox and there's these new messages, but it's waste. So, get rid of it. Okay, tip number two what you want to do is batch the time that you are checking your emails. Remember that email is electronic mail. And at some point, people used to write something on a pen and paper, uh, maybe put it in a mailbox, then you have to go to your mailbox and open it up. There was a time lag. Or maybe there was like the old Pony Express, right? So there there was supposed to be time between what you wrote and between when somebody read it. But now, it's electronic. I write it, I shoot it out into this... Cyberspace, boom, somebody sees it instantly and they think they're supposed to read it and address it at that point. But when you do that, you're stopping whatever you were supposed to be doing in the first place. So for me, in my life, I batch my times when I'm looking at email. Sometimes it'll be – sometimes for me, in my work environment, it'll be noon. I'll do it at the middle of the day. End of the day. Sometimes, based on time zone requirements, it'll be beginning of the day, end of the day. But I try to make it a point to not, not check my, I do not want to sit there and constantly work on my stuff and check my email and check my email again, check my email again, and check my email again. You want to batch that activity, right? You want to get things done. Checking email and sending emails, as much as you think it's work, it is not work. So batch the activity, do real work in between those times. Again, pick two designated times, batch those activities that that you're doing, and just get those emails out at those two designated times. Okay, tip number three. Tip number three. What I tell people, uh, people that I work with, you have to train the people around you so they understand how you work. What I tell them is, when you work with me, I am not going to send you an email that confirms that you gave me the email. I'm never going to write back okay or thank you. And in return, I don't want you to write back okay or thank you, right? Because I want to slow down the amount of emails I'm sending out, but I also want to slow down the amount of emails that I'm sending in, all right? So that is tip number three. Tell the people around you that you do not need an email, and they are not going to get an email from you that says confirmed. Tip number four. And this is uh, something that at least I've analyzed with my emails. And Before I started doing this, for every email I sent back, I probably got like one to two. Sorry, well, for every email I sent out, I got like one to two emails back. So you send one out, you get two back. You send one out, you get two back. So it's it's this horrible cycle where you send out 10, you get 20. You send out 100, you get 200 back. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that your email is so good that it does not require... A response back. That should be the goal. This should not be a volleyball match or a tennis match where it's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What you want to do is send out an email that is so good that it's not getting an email back. Now, emails that are so good that they don't get an email back usually have a format that has a person make a choice right in the email or give you what you need right in that email. What I mean is, don't send an email that says, hey, what time do you want to meet on Tuesday, right? And then they come back with uh, Tuesday at 3 o'clock, and you say, ah, you got another email. I can't make it at 3 o'clock. How about 4 o'clock, right? this back and forth. The best thing to do is, hey, I would like to meet with you on Tuesday. Here are three times that I'm available. A, B, C, pick one, right? That should end it. They pick one. That's done. You meet, and then you meet on Tuesday at whatever time they select, so again, try your best to send out an email that does not require and multiple emails coming back to you or another email that you have to send back out. And other little tips with that, this is like a, a tip within the tip. I don't even know what tip I'm on right now, but maybe it's tip number five. I don't even remember anymore. But another tip is when you write an email to make things easy, if you write a, a very long email, write a really long email – People probably either aren't going to read it and then email you back some unnecessary email, or they're going to be confused and they're going to email back you back some unnecessary email. So my tip for you was to, have to write a great email to people. Is The first thing is put what you want in the header of the email. right? Action. I need you to make take an action. Choose. I need you to choose this thing. Inform. This is just to inform you. I don't need you to do anything with it other than know that this is happening. And then keep it. In under five sentences, with possible bullets, bold, underlines, whatever on the important things that they need to see. This way, again, it's so clear. It's so clear that they don't need to write you the email back. Okay, let's just pretend that I'm on tip number five. I lost track of where I was at. Sorry, I'm auto. I'm not editing this thing. I'm just spitting it out. All right, tip number five: When you go on vacation. So I used to go on vacation with my wife and stupidly go to the business center every day during work and check my email and send it back. I sent a bunch of emails back. I'm like, ah, you know what? I don't want to go back to work on Monday and have 7,000 emails. It's just going to ruin my whole vacation. Let me just check them while I'm on vacation. That was really, really dumb. First of all, uh, because when I sent emails out, guess what? New ones came back in, so I never really lowered that inbox down. And secondly, when I sent those emails out or read the emails – it brought me back to work. I was basically working while I was on vacation and couldn't get my mind off of work, which is really stupid. So what did I do? I met with my staff and said, listen, I'm going to be on vacation this week. Do not send me any emails while I'm out. Don't. Don't copy me on anything. Don't do anything. Uh, don't send me any emails because it's going to get lost in a flood of emails. Here's what I want you to do. I'm scheduling a meeting with you the day I get back. And on the day I get back, I want you to tell me all the stuff I needed to know while I was gone. So I'm I'm blocking out this time. When I get back, here's all the stuff I needed to know. Now, the beauty of this was is that it kept my inbox down tremendously. And the second thing is my staff was able to correct problems while I was gone, right, without sending me an email waiting on me. They just figured, you know what? I'm going to take care of it myself. They're all competent. They're highly intelligent. They figured it out. Right? Or if they couldn't figure it out, I had to learn to put systems in place where they could figure it out. Right? These are the, this is the way that I, it helped me with this back and forth of emails where, oh my god, they have 700 things that happened while I was gone. What did I do? Well, now I need to put systems in place to make it easy for them to work or easier for them to work and make simple decisions while I'm out. Okay, uh, the last tip. The last tip is – I don't know if many people do this, but when you're working on something – Turn off the pop-up button that tells you when a new email comes in. It's very distracting. Again, you have to remember that the premise of this is that email is not work. As much as you may think it's work, it's not work. Some people say, well, it's my work. No, it's not. It's not work. Your email is not work. It's waste. So if you're doing something and an email pops up, you get that dopamine rush. And when you get that dopamine rush, it's kind of hard to not check it. It's really hard to not check that email. So what I would say to you is shut that, pop, that notification off. I'm going to give you another tip. I don't even know where we're at right now. Another tip that I use is when you open up Outlook or whatever messaging system you use at work, don't have it pop up to your email. Have the automatic default be your schedule because your schedule is your most important thing. Your schedule is your time, and your time is non-renewable. So when I open up my Out- Outlook box, boom, it pops up to my schedule first. If it opens up to my email first, I'm not even looking at my schedule. i am just start addressing emails. I don't even know what's going on for the rest of my day. And I'll give you one more bonus tip. And this has nothing to do with email. Maybe it does. But really the worst thing you could do is get up for work and immediately go check your email. Because now, whatever's in that inbox is dictating your day. It's dictating your day. So what you want to do, what I do, usually day before, night before, that morning, is I make a to-do list. And I do those three things before I check anything. Because that the, these things were important. Why would any email that come in be more important than what I wrote down? Because if they are, then I'm not writing the most important things. Or if I'm constantly getting these emergencies, then I don't have the right systems in place to prevent those emergencies. So again, don't check your email first thing in the morning. Make your do, do list and do it. So write that stuff down. Give it a shot. Let me know what you think. I really just completely destroyed the 6-Minute uh, Monday concept. But I believe that between emails and meetings, those two things – they will take your life. Uh, I don't mean they'll kill you. I mean actually being able to live and produce and create. That will be sucked away from you because you're a professional email person. right? You didn't go to college or trade school to be a professional email person. You didn't become a trainer to check your email. This is the thing that's going to help you get out of that hole. Okay, speaking of derailing something, I'm going to go into now this week's tag team challenge. Whew, i got to take a breath because this is a good one. Hold on, I'm going to take a sip of my green tea while I'm at it. Our motto, Lark Me- Media. I don't know if it's not professional to drink your tea during a, a segment, but I need it. Anyway, I don't even know where to begin. I'm going to begin with this. I'm going to begin with the accusation made. I don't know if it was true or false. I feel like every week I'm talking about some accusation. But there was an accusation made that uh, Coach Mahoney just came up with the, the challenge, the tag team challenge, during the workout. And that is not entirely true. I'm not going to say it's false, but it's not entirely true. So here's the way the process works when I am creating a workout and a challenge for that day. I'll let you, get, I'll let you guys get inside my head. I sit down and I think about the week before, not the day of and not during the training session, Yuski. The week before, I think about what tag team challenge do I want to execute? How does it fit into the entirety of the season? So are these guys physically capable to even do it? Because I don't want to throw something that's too hard at them in the beginning of the year or too taxing on them at the end of the year. So I figure out, how does this fit in? Have they used this toy yet? What's the weather going to be like? Because sometimes the the weather is not conducive to the toy that you want to use. So for example, if it's negative uh, 5 degrees out, it's really not nice or fair or kind to do seated sled pulls because your hands are... They're frozen, and it's hard to grab that chain or to use a farmer's walk. So I try and figure out what the weather's going to be like to, to accommodate that to the, the conditions that are going to be on the field, to accommodate that to our athletes so they can actually execute a challenge. I also try and figure out how many guys are actually going to be at that week's workout. Because guys, the good ones, will tell me in advance I'm not going to be here. Maybe they don't tell you the night before. They'll give you a couple days' notice, and that will help me tailor what the tag team challenge will be like. So I start with the tag team challenge first from the and I believe that's the most important because that involves the most people so I start with a tag team challenge first I visualize in my mind what that tag team challenge is going to be like and I try my best to think about everything that can go wrong and now very recently I try and think about how these guys will try and hack the rules Um, I'll put that note on pause for a second But I think about all those things and I visualize it. I visualize what parts of the field we're going to use, what types of toys we're going to need, how easy it is for one one guy to transition to another, how easy it is for me to judge it because these guys are now nitpicking at like tenths of a second even when it may not even matter. So I I really try and accommodate for all this to make it as simple as possible. Then once I figure out the tag team challenges, I try and figure out what the head-to-head challenge is going to be. So now that we have these toys, I'm bringing these toys to the field, let's do a head-to-head challenge after that, because remember, whatever team wins, they select losers from the losing team to go head-to-head to to compete against each other, to be eliminated from the future head-to-head challenges. So I try and figure out, okay, what can we do as a head-to-head challenge right after this tag team challenge? And for the head-to-head challenge, I figure out, at least in my mind, or I try and visualize or think through, hey... Or how exhausted are these guys going to be from the tag team challenge? How exhausted are they going to be from the workout? And what is, again, reasonable and fair for them to do but still competitive and interesting in a head-to-head challenge right after that? So that's the thought on that. I'm also thinking about timing. How long is the workout going to be? How long is this tag team challenge going to be? Is the tag team challenge going to be so long that soccer guys – and this is our biggest, my biggest like stomach ache I get – the soccer guys are coming. The soccer guys are coming because we have to get off the field before these soccer guys come, and these soccer guys don't care. You could be you could be in the middle of a drill to just set their little two-foot net right in the middle of it. They don't really don't care. Some of them are cool, but a lot of them don't care. They just feel like it's their field get off. Anyway, so the soccer guys are coming. So how long is the tag team challenge going to take? How long is the individual challenge going to take? And then with that, I gauge, is it going to be a single or a double elimination day? So how many guys are going to be there? How long is the workout? How long is the tag team? How long is the individual? And the, should this be... A single or double elimination day. And then, after I figured out the tag team challenge, after I figured out the head-to-head challenge, then I go backwards and I figure out how is the actual workout going to go. Because now I have the toys I need for the tag team. I have the toys I need for the head-to-head. How do I make the workout fit the rest of the day? So if the tag team challenge is really long, I need to make the workout a little shorter. If the tag, tag team is really short, I'll make the workout a little longer. So that's how I think through all this stuff. I write it down on pen and paper. I go to sleep, and then I'll modify it. So I don't do it the night before. I do it days before, and then I'll modify it. Now, before I said, when someone said, hey, you make it up during the workout, and I say that's not entirely true, I have to modify that when I see who actually shows up. Right? So sometimes things change. Ten guys said they'll show up. 14 show up. 14 say they'll show up. 8 show up. So that changes the dynamics of the challenge. And I have to make adjustments on the fly. But, as I've said before and I'll say again, planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless. So because I did all that pre-planning, it's a lot easier for me on the fly to make adjustments. Now, getting to this week's Tag Team Challenge, there was a lot of variables. Some, some I kind of expected. Some I did not expect. So something I did not expect... Is that both of the buckets that I had broke, so I have two buckets well the, they go to home depot, go to Lowe's, it's a five gallon bucket. It's a bucket that I've been using since I was i don't know ten I've been working on my dad's heating and it in his truck since I was ten. When I worked on his heating and air conditioning truck, you had this bucket. It's a five-gallon bucket. You would slip over a tool case over the top of that bucket, put all your twos in it, and you'd carry it into each job. Now, I know Baraji said at his uh, his big job, they have bigger jobs. They probably have much bigger scale jobs, that, but they don't use buckets because they don't got like guys to sit on them, and that is the truth. My dad also, you're never allowed to sit on that bucket, but in my world... I was working by a furnace or a water heater, so I, we carry the bucket in. My dad would always say, bring the bucket. Every job, bring the bucket. Every single job, we brought that bucket in, and that bucket was absolutely heavier than the stuff that I carried this week in that bucket. In fact, one bucket, we didn't carry anything in, and it broke. What my point is is that I used to have those buckets with my dad. For the entirety of his career as a heating and ignition mechanic, from the age of 10 to the age of 37, that's 27 years I worked with him, we weren't changing out buckets. Handles didn't break. They didn't crack. I used buckets because of my blue-collar background in training, just the same type of thing. I'm going to carry weights in them. I'm going to carry chains in them. We're going to sit on a bucket. Uh, We're not going to sit on a seat. We're going to sit on a bucket as we pull that sled. And so last year... We had a handle break on a Home Depot bucket. I'm like, this is garbage. I buy another one. The handle breaks. So I'm like, I'm going to Home, I'm going to Lowe's. Forget Home Depot, I'm going to Lowe's. I go to Lowe's and a, a bucket cracks. I buy a new one, it cracks. So this week I got a relatively new Home Depot bucket and a brand spanking new Lowe's bucket. And both of them during training break. One of them broke from someone just sitting on it. The Lowe's the Lowe's bucket cracked down the middle from people sitting on it. And the Home Depot bucket, once again, the handle fell out. So, (laughs) this happens. And the challenge this week, the tag team challenge, in my mind, when I visualized it, I was thinking, how do I make this chaotic, but yet fair and easy to judge? And the challenge involved sitting on a bucket, holding a chain, and pulling the sled into yourself. Now, why was it chaotic? Because the, the name of this game was Tap Out. It was tap out. It means I'm going to have a 20-yard chain in front of me. I have a sled with 210 pounds at the other end of that chain. And I'm going to pull that thing to me as far as I possibly can until I want to tap out. And when I tap out, my next teammate's going to come. They're going to sit down on that, that bucket, and they're going to pull that chain. And when the sled gets all the way to my feet... Whoever it is that could be the same person or the next person, they're going to pick up that chain, they're going to pick up that bucket, they're going to run as far as they can without snapping the chain in half, sit down on the bucket, and repeat the process again. Now, we're going to do this for a total of 200 yards. We're going to go one length of a football field, turn that sucker around, and go back. This is how I visualized it. And we did this last year, but the difference last year was while one person was going, the other people on their team could touch the chain and touch the bucket. And they could set it up. So as I finish, I'm out. The other people can reset the chain in the bucket. And boom, they can go. And the next, and could, Anybody can sit down next and do it. it it's like, kind of like NASCAR. There's a driver. That driver's driving the car. They pull up to a pit stop. Everybody else changes the tires. And then the driver just goes. Well, in this situation, last year, this is last year's situation, you're the driver. You're sitting down. You're driving the car. You're pulling the sled. You're pulling the sled. You stand up. Your pit crew can take the chain, take the bucket, reset it for you, and boom, you're gone. But... What I wanted to do this year, because it just annoys me, when we set up our toys, and it shouldn't annoy me, but because these, these guys are just the best of the best. We, I am blessed to train with just awesome human beings that make me better every time I see them. But the one thing that people will never, ever, ever do is take – so if we're doing a sled workout, they will not take the chains out of the bucket ever. I don't know why. No one he takes them out. No one pretends to put them on a sled. They just won't do it. And it used to be prior to this year that when we did our chain work with the sled, chain workouts with the sled, no one would even like do it nicely. Like they would, they would just not set it up for the next guy. They would just be a bad guy and just leave it for somebody else to deal with. So in my own way, because they never do that, I wanted to force them to have to on their own for each guy that went. If you're going to reset that bucket and that chain, you're going to do it by yourself. Again, we it's a 20 yard, (laughs) it's a 20 yard chain. We're going 100 yards down the field. That means five separate times, on average, depending how far they pull it in, you're going to have to reset it one way, and then five separate times, reset it another way. Because remember, you're pulling the sled into yourself It's attached to a chain, you're sitting on the bucket. At the end of it, there's going to be a sled in between your legs, a pile of chain between your feet, and you're going to be sitting on a bucket. So, this was how I envisioned it. What I did not envision was both my buckets breaking, adding chaos. I did not envision... And it was a clever move by uh, Shalacy, thinking, and Carroll and, Carol and Cort- Cortese, just thinking, hey, this is a great idea. We're going to have one guy from our team not do the chain pull at all. He's just going to, when somebody taps out, he's going to run in. He's going to grab the bucket and the chain. He's going to reset it 20 yards away and then tap himself out and let somebody else go kind of like he's a pit crew, but I didn't want that to happen. They kind of defeated the entire purpose of what we said. So they threw that at me right before we were about to start. I said, you know what? There's a stipulation to this. The person who goes has to get to at least the first clamp in the chain segment. So I have three segments of chains. And the first one, like there's three sets of chains, those three lengths of chains add up to 20 yards. One of those, the first chain that you're pulling on has a clamp on it. I believe it's called a carabiner. Has a clamp on it, you have to at least get to that one. Otherwise, it's just stupid. Like it kind of defeats the whole purpose of what I was trying to do to add chaos to the situation. In my mind, guys were gonna give it everything they got and tap out when they couldn't go anymore. Not try and beat the system. So clever move by them. I appreciate it. These guys are growing their thinking, but I needed I should have thought about that before we got there. So that was my problem number one. Or number two, because the buckets broke. Problem number three is that during the event. One of my clamps broke. <laughs> one of the clamps, there was a clamp on the end of the last chain that attached to the sled, that broke. Now, I'm going to say two things. One, the quality of the clamps has gotten worse over time. I've had clamps from the day I started advanced training over 20. How old am I now? Almost 45. 24 years ago, I, those, I've had clamps for 24 years that have never had an issue. And then again, I get a new one. So I, I've had some clamps that broke. Maybe every 10 years or so, but I got a new one, and guess what? That one broke. So that's thing number one. But thing number two is that clamp, I'm pretty sure it broke because guys were nothing short of chaotic in the way they were doing the drill. So this is some tips and tricks to this drill, and then we'll get into what actually happened. So what I've noticed, what, I've, what I think on a tag team sled pull, the smartest thing that you can do is not – there's a couple things – one of them is when you are doing the seated sled pull, it is really dumb for you to pull the sled all the way in to like your heels and have the sled sit on top of the chain that you just pulled. Because now, for the next guy to set up that sled, and again, I'll remind you, there's a sled, it's 20 yards away from you, there's a 20-foot length 20-yard length of rope in front of chain in front of you, you pull the chain towards you. As you're pulling it towards you, it's going to fall between your legs. The stupidest thing you could do is because somebody else has to reset it after you and do, this, do the same exact thing, is take the sled and pull it so far in that it goes on top of the chains underneath your feet because now they're there. And now you've got to take the chain out from underneath the sled. It's the whole exercise in and of itself. Then you have to move that chain 20 yards away with the bucket. So what happened was, is guys, they kind of did that, which is dumb. And then the second thing was that guys were sprinting with the chain like it was 3,000 feet long. Almost seeing guys' arms almost getting ripped off. Like they're running with the chain in their hand, not realizing that it's 20 yards and getting flung back. And I think they pulled it so many times with that, in that sprint that it actually hurt the integrity of that probably pathetically made uh, clamp that I had. So that broke. <laughs> And I remember specifically when it broke. It broke at, at, at a crazy time where the they guys yanked it. They were trying to yank that chain, yank that chain, yank that chain. It was on a turn. It was the first turn of the first 100-yard length of, of Carroll's team that went. He spun it around, and he tried to run with the chain, and he ran so hard the clamp just fell off, and boom, here we go. And now we're only one-third of the entire competition in because the other team didn't even go yet. We only did 100-yard length. We were going to do four 100-yard lengths, and now this thing's broken. So all of these things added to the chaos that is. So <laughs> let's get into this. So I, I'm going to just repeat the rules again, and I'll talk about what the, the challenge actually was so we can get into what actually happened. So the rules were we want to take that sled, and we want to do a seated sled pull with it, one length of the field there, one length of the field back. And the rule is, is that you go as much as you can go, and when you're done, you tap out, and another guy goes. The other guy who goes, he's the only person allowed to touch that bucket and that chain. That's it. No one can set it up for him. Nobody can break it down for him. That's it. He's got to go. We said if you did go, you got to go at least one length of the chain so that you you, you kind of compete a little bit. But we said you don't have to have everybody go. You don't have to. If you if some guy is pathetic at chain pulls, then don't even have him go. right? And all of our guys are pretty good, so that they're all able to do this. But if you don't want a guy to go, have him not go. Also, thinking in mind that if you lose, this fresh guy from your team who didn't go is now possibly able to go against you. Yeah, you, because you lost. You might get thrown into the gauntlet, and now you might have to go against this completely fresh guy. Also, by the way, there's 210 pounds on this thing. Those are the only rules that I made. Relatively simple, but it was confusing, right? It was a cold day, long workout. I don't know. So (laughs) We go right out of the gate. And guys are the very first guy, Carpentieri, he takes the chain as I think Carroll started off. Whoever was started off. He takes the chain and the bucket and automatically gets a penalty. Right Now, this is the way things work to get, in, again, inside the head of Coach Mahoney. So, so you, you guys know, for people out there, the way things work is when we do these tag team challenges, one team goes and gives it everything they got, and the other team sits there and looks for them to cheat. And then we'll call out every single time that they should get a penalty. My job, this is the way I think it is, is my job is to call the penalties that matter. Right? The penalties that matter. And in most instances, I give each team one one freebie. If they both get one freebie, I just let it go. If one team gets a freebie and the other team doesn't get a freebie, I, I will tag it on. But in my mind, everybody gets like a kind of like a warning shot, unless it's egregious like Carpentieri's. And I'm going to count the things that actually matter. So why am I saying this? So the, uh, and I'll get, I'm going to get back to why I'm saying this in a second because it's important. So Carpentieri goes. We throw a two-second penalty on him. All right, boom, he gets a penalty. Then Cortese does the same thing later on. We throw another two-second penalty on him. So that's a four-second penalty on this group. They get a four-second penalty. Um, they end up <laughs> – one more thing. Carroll's the guy who gets this thing down to the 100-yard to the mark, and he's got to turn it around. But before he turns it around, he does a very smart thing. So when you get to the 100-yard mark, you've got to turn the sled around. And, and what you really don't want to do is finish exactly at the 100-yard mark because now you're going to finish with the sled sitting on top of the chains. and it can be very hard to turn around. So Carol very wisely, this is really smart of Carol he goes about five yards behind the end line and pulls the sled in. Brilliant move. But also, and this is why I love this stuff, and hopefully... I've been accused of liking chaos, but I do. Because I like to see how people react under pressure. And when your mind is in the threat brain instead of a safe brain, you can't think clearly. You don't make good decisions. So Carol had a great idea, but he was trying to, try to go so fast that he was actually moving his hands and not the chain was not in his hands. He was doing the simulation of moving this this pulling this chain to him. But there was no chain, there. so he's actually just moving his hands, and there's basically he's pulling air. The box isn't, the, the sled isn't going anywhere. So it's 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 great that he thought that, but it, I was laughing hysterically because he was pulling things without the chain. And then to compensate for that, that's when he swung that thing around, ran as fast po- as he possibly could after he got it to the hundred, and that's when that chain fell off. Now people would say, Coach, you gotta stop the clock. This isn't fair. Your equipment's broken. It's true, but what am I supposed to do? I stopped the clock. This thing's not. The thing, clamp will still work, the, the hinge was broken, the latch was broken, but it still worked. the hook is still on there. And if each guy did this smoothly and methodically, it would be a non-issue. If you never pulled the sled on top of the chain, it would be a non-issue. If you never ran full speed, like you have 80 yards of, of chain in your hand, uh, and not really couldn't gauge the 20 yards, that wouldn't be an issue. So they, now on their second, they took them about three minutes to get there. On their way back, they started to do something very smart. A guy would do half of a length of the chain, and then he would tap out, and the next guy would get on, and he would do more of the chain. Because as people got to the end of that long pull, they were really slow. So they started to speed up the rate that they were doing this. So again, it took them about three minutes to get there. It took them about a minute to turn the thing around and get the chain fixed and all that stuff. But they actually went back faster than they went there. And their time, I believe it was like 7.13, and I only gave them one penalty. I was like, ah, I'll make it 7:15, the two-second penalty for the issue of Cortesi. I let the Carpentieri thing slide. Okay, <laughs> so now we're going to go to team two. Amorosi, I could see that he's kind of doing the brain work behind what that team is going to do. And what Amorosi does is he says, listen, we're going to move the bucket up a little bit. Uh, this way we don't have the full 20 yards of chain to pull. It's easier to grab, and let's be smart and not pull it all the way in. So this team is doing a very a a pretty good job of getting this thing in and not tying uh, the sled up too much. But again, there were guys on their team who were pulling it in a little too far. There were guys on their team who were a little tired, but they're still just giving it a little more, right? So uh, the only time that I gave them a penalty again, I try and pick what matters. And at first, they were really destroying the other team, so it, it there wasn't things that that had to matter to get there, right? So they get to the 100-yard the mark, and this is where I said what Carroll did was very smart. So Wallen now, he's the guy at the 100-yard mark where they have to turn, make the turn. And what he did was he kind of stood up off the bucket. Now, again, remember the rules are. I watch for penalties. The other team tries as hard as they can to do it, and I, I judge everything, and then you got the whole other team watching that I watch for penalties. Right? That's all they care about is their penalties. So Wallen stands up, which is a no-no, but when he stands up, he does something horrible. He, t- <laughs> he, t- he standing up on the goal line, he pulls the sled completely and totally on top of the chain. Every he, They can't get it off. The bucket breaks again. The handle flies out. Uh, he basically, with that move, even though he cheated, cut like 20 to 30 seconds of time off of their transition. So while people <coughs> were telling me to give him a penalty for what he did, what he did caused a train wreck, right? What he did caused a train wreck. And I looked up at Chalasi and and Weintraub, maybe even Carroll, just looked at them and said, guys, you might be in this. You might. Now it's a game. Like now, at this point, this is going to be more of a game than I thought it was going to be. Like before it was close, but now you're actually in the lead. So this team, they regroup. They get their bearings. And again, like the first team, they do better on the way back. Now one thing they did, they started moving the bucket up closer and closer to the front of the sled but remember my rules if you go you have to at least go one chain length now guys are complaining to me coach he's starting up halfway up the first chain even if he gets to that link it's not fair you're right but what a guy like wallen he was smart he started halfway up the chain but he went a full chain length I watched him I watched him do it so now they're going they're getting neck and neck and there's about I don't know 20 25 seconds left with one <laughs> there's about 25 seconds I'm sorry there's a tw- 25 seconds left for this team to lose. That's what it is. Like There's 25 seconds left for this team to lose. So once like, the first team got 7.15. It's about 6.50, 6.55 when there is now exactly 20 yards of sled left to pull. So Pete Baragi, the team captain, Mr. Authentic from the Freak Awards last year, now, at this point, nobody's going full like the chain. Nobody's doing it because it's too tiring. It's 210 pounds on a scorched earth day. It's cold. It's the end of the workout. Guys are kind of doing half. But nobody's doing full at this point. So, Baraji's like, I got it. And I'm thinking, that's dumb. Like, don't don't get it, Baraji. Don't do it. Like, don't do it, man. You're going to be too tired. And he sits down like the captain he is and rocks this thing. Like, I, I really thought that this team was going to lose. He rocks it so bad that... He finishes, uh, they finish at 7 minutes and 11 seconds. I think it was, I'm sorry, it was 7 minutes, 9 seconds. It was 7 minutes and 9 seconds. So the other team's screaming at me, you gotta give them penalties, it's not fair. I said, fine, I'll give them the 2 second penalty for stand standard up." Now it's 7 minutes and 11 seconds. So, again, would it matter if I gave them the Weil and penalty or not? No. So this is my thinking in my head. But if it did matter... If it did matter, I would apply the wild penalty, and there is a tiebreaker that we have not yet used yet. So, men, I have to assure you, at least in my mind, (laughs) this may not be a million percent uh, accurate, but in my mind, when it does matter, there is a tiebreaker. When it's too close to call, there are tiebreakers for every one of these things that's also mapped in. So we didn't need it because Baragi just completely destroyed that last sled pull, and they won by such a large margin, it didn't matter if Wallen stood up or not. But I still applied the penalty, and they still won by four seconds. So now this team wins. Baragi's team wins. Bear Island wins again. And now they have to pick who they want to go head-to-head in the individual challenge. Remember, each person from Bear Island, now they get three points. Uh, Now Joe Derrida is sitting on top right now. He's 4-0 record, 12 points. He's the, the leader of all points. Uh, remember that not everybody makes the playoffs, so this is big, right? Not everybody's making the playoffs, and if you if you lose, you go head-to-head with one of your teammates, and if you lose twice in these head-to-heads, you are eliminated and can no longer compete head-to-head ever again. So right now, the only guy eliminated is Carroll, so they can't pick Carroll. So now they have to think about, who are we going to pick? Are we going to pick Cortese, who is unbelievable at some things, but not so unbelievable at the sled pull? In fact, he has proclaimed himself as terrible at the sled pull, and he's... Not that good at. The guy weighs about 150 pounds, and that sled pole was 210 pounds plus. Oh, I didn't even mention what the head-to-head challenge was. Let me get to that. The head-to-head challenge, we simplified it because guys were actually shot. I didn't think they'd be shot, but they were shot from the challenge. The guys were laying down. They were shot. So I said, okay. And by the way, the soccer guys, they weren't coming. They were here. They already had their net set up. So, okay, we're going to do a single elimination challenge. We're going to keep it simple. You're going to sit on the bucket. <laughs> You're going to have that sled 20 yards away from you and you're gonna do one one cycle so you're gonna sit and you're gonna do a sled pull how do I make it fair I make the length that this thing has to come into you so this has always been a controversy during our tough man challenges how far do you have to actually pull that sled in well I said okay it's gonna be the length of another bucket so I've had the bucket you're sitting on I have another bucket sitting next to your feet it has to reach the tip of that bucket and then you're done that's fair it can't go by feet because some guys's got long feet. It can't go by anything else. Other, and you, I don't want to pull it all the way to your to the up bucket because now it's going to be on top of the chain and we got the soccer guys coming, so we said that's going to be the head-to-head challenge. So now they have five guys that they can choose from from the other team. There's five guys competing, but one of them's Carroll. He can't go. You have Andrew Cortese, who is not so good at, at the sled pull. He's good at a lot of things, but he's not so good at that. You have Carpentieri, who has proven to be really good at a lot of things, sneakily. Uh... Quick side note: The guy shows up to running with me Friday morning after playing basketball till midnight, so it's 5:30, 5:45, and then he hits 19.1 miles an hour on a 10-yard fly. 19.1. After five hours of sleep, <laughs> beating my time from the week before, so now I need to pick things up. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. I was sitting high on my 18.9, but you got 19.1. Anyway, so you got him, but he's got the money in the bank belt, and then you got Schalacy who's really good at everything. And then you got Weintraub, who's really good at everything and really, really good at the seated sled pull. In fact, last year for PowerPoints, he had the highest ranking of the seated sled pull. He was the best guy. He doesn't do it in any format that anybody else does, but he's just got it must be some insane upper back. I don't know what it is. He just launches that thing across the field. So they pick, wisely, they pick Shalasi and Weintraub because those two guys are dudes. Last year they made it to the Final Four. Like These are guys you want to compete early. Have one guy knock out the other guy. Right? Whoever loses, great for the other team because now that guy is gonna lose points. Maybe they don't make it into the playoffs. I don't know. But the guy that wins, he keeps going on. Anyway, they we say they get to choose who goes first. They choose Shalasi to go first. This is a great idea, right? It's a great idea. High risk move, picking Carpentieri. You never know what he's gonna come up with. Do we? He, he's got the money in the bank. Cortesi. Let him live to fight another day because this isn't his thing, and let these two guys who are both good at this thing go against each other. So Shelacy goes first and he does a really, really good job. I'd say I would compare it to as good of a job as Baraji did to close things out. And he gets it like to the almost to the tip of the bucket and then falls off of his bucket. And now the sled is not touching the tip of the bucket. So I didn't stop the watch. I'm like, gotta get gotta pull it, gotta pull it. So he has to get him back up, up on the bucket and give it one more yank. So this is just another example of guys making things close and then being mad at me that I don't have some sort of laser out there to say if it was within the uh, the millimeter of clearing the other bucket that I had or not. So he pulled it in great. And he got 24 seconds when he did that, but by the time he got back on the bucket and pulled it in, it was like 26.8 seconds. And he's like, come on, coach, it was there. I'm like, it was not there. But for all you people out there, don't make it so close. Don't make it so close that now you have to rely on uh, – the, the efforts that we, or the tools that we have, which is my eyeball in a bucket to make that split second decision. Get it in. All right, so then Weintraub goes and my god, is he a, is he a master? He gets it done in 20.8 seconds. So again people, it didn't matter, right? It didn't matter if it was that millimeter or not, at least in my judgment. But if it did, guess what? I would make them go again, right? So there's no perfect system. It's just trying to be fair. But Weintraub, he completely and totally killed it. I mean, i, I he's amazing at the way he does this <laughs> seated sled pull. Be, again, he's also amazing because he doesn't do it the way that the best guys do it. So, you know, Pete Amorosi, Sarno, these guys have figured out a way where they're really hunched over and they're pulling that chain in really fast and hand over hand, hand over hand. Weintraub is not doing that. Uh, even that's how Baraji did it when he killed it on the last leg that's how Shelacy did it They these guys all have this technique that they use but Weintraub doesn't do that that's why it makes it so incredible and there's a lot of guys that are really good at this it's just he seems to be based on his power points and what he just did the best of the best so now once again Weintraub has n- knocked out another one of his team members well Shalasi only has one loss he has another loss but it's like this other team maybe they're using Weintraub to be the enforcer to just pick apart this other team one by one so that's it for this week's Tag Team Challenge. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up by saying, just if you if you know somebody, if you know somebody who needs help with their emails, or maybe they're emailing you too much, send them this podcast. They can cut off the last part about the Tag Team Tough Man Challenge. Who cares? But send them the part about emails, because I think this world is a better place with a lot less emails. The second thing I'll say, if you can, please support our, our sponsors that are helping me put this show out, uh, helping me run advanced training. I am going to put the links in the notes, you can click on the links, you can just buy directly from them. Alright everybody, thank you so much, enjoy the rest of your week, bye. This episode is brought to you by ProPulse Speed Trainers, created by the mad scientist himself, David Weck. Now in my 20 plus years of evaluating athletes, there was always one thing, one thing that I could look at and tell you if this athlete was going to be sick, or if they were going to be an R-coordinated mess, and I could tell you that in about 5 seconds, and what was it? It was the way their upper bodies moved in sync with their lower bodies. If they were in complete and total sync, I knew the athlete was going to be sick. You've always heard. Look at this guy's arm angles. Look at the way the violent arm action, the way this guy runs. Well, those were always the best athletes. Now, what David Weck did is he created these little miniature weights that are about 12 ounces each that you can hold in your hand. And inside of those weights, he has these little beads. And when you run and when when you're pumping those arms, when those weights are pumping those arms, you can actually hear with those beads if you are on the right rhythm. It's actually sending a signal to your brain to say, yep, I am in pace, I am in rhythm, and it will instantly get your upper body and lower body in sync. If you want to become like Michael Jordan, Randy Morse, LeBron James, Derek Jeter, watch these guys run, watch their sick arm angles, get yours today. Go to shop.weckmethod.com. That's shop. W E C K, that's WECMethod.com. Put in the code WMA270. Again, that's WMA270. It will get you 10% off of any item that you buy. Go and get yours today.